Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, and welcome to a special music episode of New Scientist Weekly. Today... I want to talk to you about the ocean. I'm Bethan Ackley. I'm a sub editor and the TV columnist at New Scientist. Now, when we think about the marine world, we don't always consider its sounds. We've obviously all heard waves crashing and the echoes of whale song, of course. But our oceans are noisy places. They're filled with a wealth of sounds, both natural and human-made, that are often lost on our ears. So capturing the complexity of the ocean soundscape can be pretty tricky, but it's one that musician and composer Cosmo Sheldrake has taken on with his new album, Wild Wet World. It's composed entirely of marine recordings taken over a 10-year period, from snapping shrimp and drumming haddock to damaged coral reefs popping as they burst back into life. It takes us into the sonic worlds of our oceans, and we're lucky enough to have Cosmo Sheldrake here with us to discuss the album. Cosmo, thank you for joining us. So Wild Wet World is an homage to the ocean as told through a selection of the creatures that live in it. And capturing that is obviously a pretty mammoth task. Um, So how did you choose which aspects of marine life to include? It's a good question. I suppose just the ones that most readily have presented themselves to me. So yeah, it's a kind of mixture of archive recordings of a couple of my own and and some that that have been shared by some marine biologists or ocean conservation organizations. So I suppose there were some that I just really felt that it was important to include the voices of, for example, the um, these recordings of the orca that live off the west coast of Scotland, known as the West Coast Community, which are all kind of doomed to become extinct, even though there's eight females and eight males, they've lost the ability to reproduce just because of the chemical contamination of the water that they live in. So it's this kind of tragic tale of these lost dying orca, but they also have a, a unique language. They speak their own um, dialect of orca which is totally distinct from any other so we're also losing a a, a language orca language or orca dialect along with these orcas so it felt important to in- incorporate some of the voices of the west coast community and then a while ago um bernie kraus who's a soundscape ecologist and marine biologist by training um i think he even assisted the american military in recording some fish during the the cold war in the in the 80s they created this sound bank of fish so they could arm their submarine pilots with these with these sounds so if, if the submarine pilots heard any unidentified sounds in the oceans they could quickly cross-reference from their fish sound sound bank 
and make sure that it was a, in fact, a, a Hadley or a Longhorn Sculpin rather than a Soviet submarine or something like that. So I have all this, these amazing recordings of various fish, mostly coral reef dwelling fish. And then also I was a marine biologist called Steve Simpson, who's currently at the University of Bristol, who's done amazing work with um, restoring coral reefs by using sound. He, he calls it acoustic enrichment, where he plays the sounds of healthy coral reefs to degraded reefs. And the sound of these fizzing, popping, healthy reefs brings the fish back. It kind of almost tricks them into thinking it's a thriving place to be. And they come back, they start grazing on the algae that was otherwise smothering reef. And then the reef does, in fact, come back to a healthier state and kind of begins to regenerate. So I incorporated some of the sounds from some of his trials in Indonesia, from some of his restored reefs, as well as some degraded reefs that he's working with. So I suppose it was a mixture of like picking sounds that had musical potential but also just trying to pick sounds that sort of help, you know, somehow weave this narrative together and some of these different stories that I was aware of encountered along the way. Also featuring lots of cetaceans, lots of humpbacks and sperm whales and right whales, dolphins and stuff. So now we're going to listen to a clip from the opening track of the album, Bathed in Sound. Closed my eyes, went to sleep and drifted downwards. I dreamt of whales floating there, bathed in sound, all wrapped in plankton and glinting green. This was the only song on the album that features your voice. Why did you only want to sing on one song, and why did you place it as the as the opening track? I'd made a lot of the more the instrumental music first, and I suppose it felt. When making that music, it never felt appropriate having my voice in there. I don't know, I was just more interested in exploring the sound world of the ocean without imposing myself on it too much, even though I'm obviously imposing myself on it a bit, but <laughs> well, a lot by making it. And then this song just emerged, really, that, that became so clearly a kind of, I suppose, uh, an imaginative exercise of trying to trying to imagine what it was like to be a whale or, or living in a kind of liquid medium of sound. And it just felt like it fit. Originally, I was going to put it in a separate project, but then I was like, this is obviously the same thought process the same breath so it felt nice to have in the end to have one one song in there just to you know I suppose add my voice to the to the mix but yeah it felt important also not to have too much of of me from that perspective I I wanted just to kind of explore without there's a certain kind of way of listening when you listen to words It, it keeps you thinking in a more rational space and somehow with instrumental music it can go a bit more on a journey so I think that was more my intention. So you mentioned that um, you worked with researchers who um, already had recordings or in, or in the process of getting those recordings. But I understand that you, you did find some of the recordings yourself. Was that technically challenging to do? I have some hydrophones and I've been recording wherever I can, whenever I spend quite a lot of time on the west coast of, of Canada. And so I've over the years spent time with the hydrophones out there. We're trying to record various different things. But the most common thing that I've ever recorded and that certainly that I think it's only natural it's the most common sound in the world i think is the sound of snapping shrimp the sound of pistol shrimp wherever you throw your hydrophone into into the water i think most most of the time that what you'll mainly hear is the sound of snapping and crackling of pistol shrimp so i i have recorded plenty of that and i've and a few kind of rock cod grunting and and i think i've got close enough to and recorded a humpback whale kind of snorting but mostly it was just this kind of background bedrock of snapping of shrimp i sort of i lay it as the kind of foundation quite in the background just to kind of weave and stitch the whole thing together. So, so there's a few recordings of mine of kind of just ambient 
backdrop ocean sounds, which I, I wove in there just to kind of give it a sense of place. Your last album, um, Wake Up Calls, uh, it was inspired by the endangered birds of the UK and, and it was made up of their calls. Was there anything you learned from the process of creating that that then informed this album? Yes, I think so. Um, working with Birdsong, it made me quite aware of thinking about the like differences in time or the the way in which birds perceive time. Just so if you if you slow Birdsong down, maybe about sixteen times or something like that, it's it becomes a lot more relatable and um, more more on a human time scale. There's an amazing artist called Marcus Coates who did some great um, art projects based on this called Dawn Chorus, where he he slowed birdsong down about 16 to 20 times and then got people to learn specific birdsong, say like a skylark, and then filmed them and then sped them back up 20 times or 16 times, how many, back to bird speed. And the person becomes bird. They start singing. They, you know, they resemble a bird. They're, the way their head moves, um, they sound you know, exactly like the skylark. And so it helps you realize that actually between bird perception and human perception is just a, a massive, not just, but there is a big time gap in the middle, which is, um, one of the things I think that kind of separates us or makes it harder to to maybe relate. But so for me, yeah, just spending a lot of time slowing birdsong down, it just made me think a lot about the, the different time. I suppose whale song, if you speed it up, it might be a, a sort of um, equivalent process. Um, so just, yeah, learning to sort of, um, a lot of blue whales, for example, sing below human hearing range. So they make these super sub, subby sounds. So um, in order even to hear them, you have to speed them up. So a lot of the time it feels like this kind of um, temporal translation that I, I suppose I kind of thought quite a lot about while doing the bird song, which which also very much applies in this case. And and, and through doing it, yeah, it does feel like you can kind of get closer to the, a sense of what it might be like to, I suppose, listen, hear, feel um, in the ocean. Yeah, and then I suppose, yeah, just trying not to impose myself too much. I mean, it's it's, it's always going to be a kind of imposition or, a um, you know, I'm essentially cutting, pasting and collaging these sounds back together and, and um, into new contexts that I'm creating. But but to try and do it in such a way that it leaves intact this sense of being in a place and listening to things in that place. So I attempted to make it somewhat like you were in an ecosystem, hearing the ecosystem, not as if you were kind of listening to a piece of music in a concert hall, which is like the object of um, focus is right in front of you. I, I tried to make it have some sort of depth or something like that, if that makes sense. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
So you mentioned this sort of collaging the different sounds together. Did you have a favorite sound that you sort of really found that you enjoyed working with? I love the um, the sound of some some of the fish, the coral reef dwelling fish, make these incredible percussive sounds. So you get this. There's a fish called the oyster toadfish, which is most of the kick drums or percussive bassy sounds on the, on the album come from the oyster toadfish, and they they make these sounds by forcing water out their swim bladders and air out their swim bladders. It's kind of grunting. So yeah, either that or the longhorn sculpin just uh, makes this kind of foghorn sound. That um, yeah, very mysterious sounds. You mentioned the, the the percussive sound. The next track that we're going to listen to, we've got a clip from Benethos here, um, and the title of that is a term describing the organisms that live at the at the very bottom of a sea or or a lake. It's that percussive sound features very heavily in this. So in, in certain tracks like Benthos, um, and you mentioned earlier how you've incorporated the sounds of coral reefs, both degraded ones and, and ones that are recovering. What is the sound that we're hearing in those pieces? Uh, is it the sound of coral itself? Is it the sound of sort of surrounding organisms? So the background sound, as most sounds in the ocean, is the sound of snapping shrimp, the uh, pistol shrimp, like I mentioned earlier. They kind of form the the background of all sounds, it seems, um, at least the ones I've heard. And then, yeah, a, a healthy coral reef would have the kind of popping, wheezing, spluttering sounds of all the, the fish and the crustaceans that are living there that are very vocal. And it's, it's only recently that people are really beginning to understand quite how important sound is for, for almost everything for these fish that um, for mating and communication. I mean, they have there's dawn and evening choruses on coral reefs, much like birdsong. They pipe up and down at different times of the day. So I think, yeah, the sound of a, of a healthy reef is mainly populated by the popping and wheezing and snapping of the of the fish and crustaceans. And then if you hear a degraded reef, it's just a lot less dense. It's just almost back just to the shrimp or something like that. And um, you lose a lot of that polyphony and the, the kind of spluttering. Imagine you could spend a lot of time re-listening to a lot of these tracks and just trying to pull out the individual elements of it. That, that's fascinating. On Benthos, yeah, it features, just to name a few of the fish, Just um, there's a red drum fish, a black drum fish, a longhorn sculpin, a buck-toothed parrotfish, an oyster toadfish, porkfish, an Atlantic croaker, a humpback whale, a sperm whale, a killer whale, and then sounds of a degraded reef. Wow. It's almost like having to work with so many different instruments, to, uh, having to balance that all, I can't imagine. <laughs> I suppose, yeah, just trying to imagine it as a kind of uh, an ensemble of, of aquatic beings, yeah. So, as you've said, you, um, you've worked quite directly with marine researchers when composing the album. Did their input sort of influence how, how the album turned out in the end, beyond just, you know, obtaining recordings and that kind of thing? Yeah, I suppose discovering Steve Simpson's work, for example, and just um, becoming aware of the role of sound in the ocean, in, in, in a, particularly in a reef environment, I suppose, with his work. But... Um, yeah, it, I suppose just thinking about that, the polyphonic tapestry that is any soundscape really, but like definitely the ocean as it is such a, a medium that conducts sound and 
is so significant to the creatures that live live in it. So I suppose, yeah, just thinking about that kind of research made me try to make the music dense and polyphonic to mirror the, the sound world of and the ecosystem. In terms of a musical direction, not so much, I suppose. Well, actually, I suppose so. Thinking about the song cycles of Humpbacks and thinking about the way in which the, the, the song is structured and stuff did make me think differently about the way to voice melodies or when picking different um, making decisions between who whose voice to feature for example yeah at thinking about the way that whales themselves actually sing or communicate did certainly influence that decision making do you think if people understood the ocean as a place that is full of sound they would have an appreciation of the fact that our human noise through things like boats really does have an impact on on certain creatures i'm, I'm thinking about whales in particular Absolutely. I mean, if if you had a jackhammer following you around the entire time, just drilling <laughs> right next to your ear, you'd be forgiven for getting angry, grumpy, or you know, or, or not being able to make good decisions when crossing the road. For example, you might walk out in front of a bus and you can't hear it coming. So, you know, a faint analogy of what, what it must be like to to be in the oceans, anywhere near military sonar testing or deep sea drilling, or to be able to not hear your your family or your keen as you're moving around the ocean to be able to not make um navigate through the oceans to, to not even be able to judge your depth perception and and often whales will abort dives too soon or too fast and and it can trigger all sorts of you know they can get brain hemorrhages on the way up of the bends and all sorts of so yeah i think we need to spend more time listening to the noise pollution in the ocean to fully appreciate quite how how invasive it is and also as we become more aware of the complexities of the cultural lives i suppose of, of dolphins whales other cetaceans and and realize just quite how sophisticated these beings are and these languages are i think it's even more stark that that contrast of what it what it means to just pump so much noise pollution back into that environment so hopefully a, a, a richer understanding of the nature of sound and languages and among cetaceans and other marine creatures can help us appreciate uh, and hopefully enrich our acoustic environments not just in the ocean but anywhere else too we're going to listen to one last clip it's taken from the last track on the album Necton and this is the track that contains the sound of those um, killer whales that you mentioned earlier of those killer whales and the general themes of the album um conservation is is very important to you and i know you're donating a percentage of the album's royalties to various conservation groups um in your mind what is it that we need to do to even begin to tackle these threats that's a very big question well i mean there's so many overlapping and interacting threats that it's i mean there's overfishing there's sound pollution there's deep sea mining there's i mean there's you name it, there's ocean acidification, there's ocean warming, there's, um, yeah, I mean, it's such a complicated, and the ocean, I think, for so long has just been treated as this kind of the world's dumping ground, you know, and then everything put there just sort of disappears from sight and mind, and it's obviously just not 
not worked out that well. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I mean, the UN has declared this the decade of the ocean and, and with that, you know, they just signed a kind of treaty, I suppose, that begins to discuss or set some sort of, um, parameters for the sea that's outside of national boundaries or borders. So hopefully there's a kind of shift in the right direction, but in so many situations way too late and certainly for the Scottish orca and, um, all too, all too many like them. So I don't know. I mean, for me, yeah, it is important that the vision, I suppose, with this, with this album has been that um, because it's composed out of voices of and songs of various of the creatures living in the, in the ocean, it felt only appropriate that some of the royalties or, um, songwriting credit should be distributed back to those creatures as well. So, um, obviously there is no royalty collection agencies on behalf of sperm whales currently, but it just felt appropriate that 50% of the publishing, which is the aspect of the royalties that deals with songwriter credits or, um, intellectual property, I suppose, should be, should be going back to the creatures that feature or the, the ocean itself. So it's so as much as as possible, I'm trying to build into the, into the structure of the EP. So automatically, if you listen to a piece of music, that 50% of the publishing royalties will then be distributed to, to the various conservation organizations that I'm partnering with. Well, Cosmo, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you all for listening to this bonus episode of New Scientist Weekly. Wild Wet World is out on the 26th of April and Cosmo will be performing live at the British Library in London on the 19th of May. Please do consider subscribing to our show and we'll be back with more soon. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.